When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the Heartland, I am delivering them to you from the Heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 17 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Hey, Heartlanders, you guys patrons yet? Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our audio archives dating back to 2012. It's a great way to show your support, and you get a whole lot for it. When a lonely frog consults a fortune teller, he's told not to worry. You are going to meet a beautiful young girl, she says, and she will want to know everything about you. That's great, says the excited frog. When will I meet her? Next semester, says the psychic in biology class. Two female cats are sitting on the fence passing the time of day when a really handsome tomcat walks by and winks at them. Oh darling, did you see that one? One of the felines opines. I wouldn't mind sharing a dead mouse with him. Oh forget about him, her friend tells her. I went out with him once and all he did was talk about his operation. Frogs and cats tonight. Not very scary, you say? Be patient, dear listener. Eli Pope and Kendra Nicholson will have you singing a different tune. Let's get after it. Ghouls and goblins and toads. Oh my. One of these is not like the other. Meet Olive Marguerite Randall, a sweet aging woman with a bit of phobia problem. She doesn't fear Halloween though. Care to take a stab at what she does fear? Pull up the covers and keep your feet on the couch so you're not left knee deep, knee deep, croaked. And now for your indulgence, croaked. A Hallow's Eve 
by Eli Pope. One. Olive woke up suddenly from her usual restless sleep. At nearly 65, she was now accustomed to never sleeping very soundly. After all, she knew they were out there, all slimy with stinking skin drowning in their own warts, warts that would easily pass under her as they had in the past. She was, of course, thinking about the damned frogs and toads, not the mindless little preteens that would be dressed to scare in a week, holding out their greedy little fingers as they begged for free candy while holding responsible homeowners hostage with idle threats of trickery. Trick or treat. With that thought, she lumbered out from under her sheets as fast as her tired, aged body would allow. She knew she must apply another fresh coat of antifungal cream once again. She mustn't allow any more warts from those amphibious creatures to find a home on her otherwise clear but aging skin. Warts. I hate those crusty little growths. Implanted frog's eggs, I say trying to take over the world one body at a time through implanting their offspring underneath our skin. Between them and the damned kids in this season of horrors, her frail arms shook, making the loose skin where bicep muscles once existed now appear as soggy flapjacks wriggling in the wind. Disgusting vermin should be rid from our world. Again, the amphibious creatures, not those nuisance-ridden two-legged vermin, she smiled to herself as she reached for the tube of homemade medicating cream on the bathroom vanity. As she twisted the cap off, allowing a yellowish clear ointment to ooze out and slide down the side before catching it with her finger, not wasting a drop, Olive thought to herself, I must get to the MFA store to purchase more pristine fungicide. Those goddamn croakers don't seem to live too long after a heavy dose of it around my garden and it appears to remove their egg wart bumps from my soft skin. The last drop of ointment squeezed out onto the palm of her hand and she dropped the crinkled metallic tube into the trash can. Olive began methodically rubbing its oily-based goo onto her arms and hands first and then her entire body, saving a last bit to finish the process on her neck, cheeks, and forehead. I mustn't get another wart on my face. I thought Jimmy Lane McCoy would never look at me again after the last time a nasty toad left his mark on me. The lion oaky stump water liked to never remove the unwanted gift seated in my cheek. Thank the Lord I stumbled onto pristine. Olive Marguerite Randall continued to massage her neck and face until it gleamed slick and shiny in the mirror's reflection back at her with a moist, lubricious glisten. She made a couple of kissing gestures to her reflected image in the mirror before turning and admiring her backside before heading back to bed. Glancing at the clock sitting on her nightstand, she shook her head. 2 a.m.? Damn it! How's a lady to get any beauty rest with those fucking frogs calling out in heat all night long? She pictured their bloated throats bulging out to the point of bursting as their ugly croaks being released into the night air. Horny little bastards hollering out their damned reproductive needs to a world who won't listen and take heed, living in denial of their mission to destroy us. I'd rather live with uneaten insects they'd supposedly rid us of. She shivered with disgust as she pulled the sheets tightly up to her now shiny and slippery chin, closing any opening for a stray toad in her home to be able to make its way into her bed. 
At that thought, she quickly turned to her side, pulling the sheet completely over her head and then burrowed down underneath it. 2. Eddie Bales and Chad Watkins, both high-spirited pre-teenagers, slowed their stride towards school as they approached the frog lady's house. Yes, Shady Acres, Arkansas was one of those tiny one-stoplight towns where everybody knew everybody's business, even if you were only 12. And what wasn't 100% accurate was made up and passed along as truth in the form of gossip. This was according to Ms. Bernadette Johnston, the town crier, who Chad's mom referred her as. All the kids at school called Old Lady Olive the Frog Lady. The entire town knew that Olive Randall was overly concerned with slithery frogs and dry, dirty toads. That was 100% fact, not hearsay. Olive would blatantly speak out about how the town should come together to rid itself of their pestilence before the nasty, greasy creatures brought on something more deadly like the bubonic plague or something. Warts were bad enough, but a plague was certainly imminent if nothing was done, no plan implemented. Chad stopped in his tracks briefly. Eddie? He quietly called out to his friend and reached for his shirt sleeve, giving it a slight tug. I think I saw her through the window. Eddie turned back and smiled an evil grin. You sure? I don't want to waste him if she ain't there. I saw her. Get him out quick. Eddie bent down and opened his backpack, pulling out a Tupperware container with holes poked in the lid. He lifted it out and carefully pulled the lid slightly open, jabbing his hand inside and grasping the large rough-skinned toad into his grip. He looked up at Chad and nodded. Hey, frog lady, trick or treat! Chad hollered out with all the air in his lungs backing his words. A moment later, the front door snapped open and the old tattered screen door quickly hit the outside of the house's siding with a sharp thwack. You little heathens are a week early. Get to school and do some learning, she yelled as she stepped out onto her rickety wooden porch, the screen door slapping closed behind her. Eddie stood up from the sidewalk in front of the white picket fence and drew his closed hand behind his right ear before hollering back. Here's your treat, frog lady! He then hurled his closed grip forward with all his might, like St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Adam Wainwright, opening his fingers at just the appropriate timing to send the fat round toad hurling through the air. He then quickly looked down at his pea-soaked hand before returning his vision back up to the frog lady's porch. He acted like he was patting his friend on his shoulder, but really, he was wiping off the toad's piss. Both boys stood paralyzed as the toad seemed to float through the air in slow motion, spinning end over end, the creature's fingers reaching every direction to grasp anything to slow its spinning. Olive stood silently taking it all in, expecting the probable rock being catapulted towards her to either shatter a window or crack a thunderous bang when it hit the siding. What happened, though, is something she couldn't possibly have expected. There came a sudden, sickening thud, not a sharp bang like Olive expected. Once the traveling object ended its arc through the air to a spot about a foot from the window and possibly three or four feet from her, the object bounced with a dull thump. She glanced over and saw dripping bloody goo oozing down into a growing puddle. That nastiness trailing down the white siding caused her stomach to retch at its sight. Olive's eyes followed over to the wooden slatted porch, spying a crumpled blob of brown fleshy skin and legs that lay motionless. 
Still unaware of just what it was, she moved closer until witnessing its eyes suddenly pop open. A shallow, grumbled groan gurgled from its mouth before a rush of bloody mush slipped from between its lips and spilled out onto the porch. As if that wouldn't have been bad enough for a person deathly afraid of frogs and toads, a moment even worse unfolded as Olive's eyes focused making her aware of what had just taken place before her. She looked up at the boys in shock and appeared to have no idea how to react. She stumbled a bit and then backstepped to the right and reached for a broom leaning against the house near the front door. 3. Olive's world changed in an instant. Who would have ever dreamed a couple of overzealous kids pre-Halloween trick could cause such a string of events? Eddie and Chad stood statuesque in their tracks peering over the white picket fence, their eyes wide open, orbs frozen with fright, never realizing the possible repercussions such an act could deliver. The world became very still. No wind, no sounds of bugs or birds not a single car or pedestrian in sight. An eerie hush seemed to have fallen over the entire town of Shady Acres, Arkansas. No movement but the staggered motion of the frog lady gripping the broom handle and slightly swaying in tiny circles as if beginning to swirl in the air like a plane just before nosediving into the ground. Silence so dead, the straw bristles of the broom as it began to be scooted towards the dead toad could be heard across the yard to the sidewalk the two boys stood. Swish. Swish. Just as the shafts of straw from the surface of the broom touched the clump of smooshed toad, it happened. Its throat ballooned and bulged for a moment, as if attempting one last gasp of air to complete a final act. Frog Lady instinctively stopped the sweeping action and slowly, bravely, began to lean down closer toward the toad. She was obviously fighting her phobia of such a creature, drawn to see if her eyes were truly witnessing the horrible sight of what was happening. You nasty little wart-filled fucker! You can't possibly still be alive! Her nostrils flared slightly as if she had caught wind of something. Her face showed an expression of catching the scent of a stench in the air. Olive turned and stared evil daggers at the two hoodlums who had brought this hellish act upon her. Out of nowhere came an instant burst of energy within that toad. Call it a final death jump, but it leaped into the air with a vengeance toward Olive in such a way it caught her totally off guard. Its bloody, gooey body slapped into Olive's face with such velocity, allowing her no time to maneuver a hand in front to cover herself. She stammered before quickly stumbling backward, tripping over her broom handle and banging the back of her head against the house's wall before falling back forward to the ground. As luck would have it, the now-dead toad's body cushioned her face from landing full force onto the hard wooden planks. After, all was still and motionless. Eddie and Chad turned, staring into each other's eyes in total disbelief, realizing they were both in huge trouble, but also knowing they mustn't just leave her there to die. Chad looked over at Eddie. I think you killed her. I, I, uh, no, it wasn't. It, it's not my... I didn't mean... Was all Eddie could seem to muster. You gotta go see if she's alive, Eddie. Chad grabbed his friend's shoulders and shook him. We can't just leave her. I don't want to go to jail. Eddie's feet began to slowly shuffle back and forth, the first movement he had made since being frozen after watching the toad leave a blood trail down the side of Frog Lady's white siding. His steps began as tiny, trembly steps, and as he reached the first seam or crack in the sidewalk, he instinctively stepped over it. 
He looked back at Chad, who stood stiffly in place as if his feet were glued to the concrete. Don't you leave me, Chad? You promise? He asked in a pleading tone. I won't. My feet want to run like hell, but my brain can't make a move even if I could. Eddie's legs stiffly walked him closer and closer to the porch steps as if he were on stilts. He kept looking back at Chad to make sure he hadn't abandoned him. He lifted his left foot up onto the first cement step, cautiously dragging his right foot up to the second step, which put him almost eye to eye with Frog Lady's face. He quickly noticed he couldn't see any sign of the toad, but the old lady's cheek was lying in a reddish-brown puddle of what he assumed was toad guts. He felt his stomach move upward inside. He looked back at his friend hesitantly, just before he lost the fight to keep his morning breakfast donuts and milk within him. The smell overwhelmed him along with the sight of the old lady's face lying in the puddle of guts, her lips resting in the glob of pudding-like slosh. Flies already busily buzzing around and sensing the feast laid out. Is she breathing? Chad yelled out in worried question. Eddie was too lost in his fight to keep from vomiting again to hear the question, let alone answer it. His head appeared to be woozy as it wobbled back and forth. He looked as if he were fighting the call to fall face first into the mess himself. That was the moment which must have been the toad's last breath of trapped air inside its lungs exited. There was a slight sound of a belch that caused the old lady's lip to waffle slightly from the force of air before lifelessly falling back down into the splatter. She coughed slightly, blowing a tiny wave of the hardening liquid away from her mouth followed by a strong inhale of oxygen pulling some of the stringy greasy substance back to her lips. Her eyes suddenly flicked wide open as if someone had held smelling salts to her nose, scaring the bejesus out of Eddie. He screamed, which caused the frog lady to jerk her head up from the porch floor like a zombie come back to life. She lifted her hand and wiped at her face, feeling a wet and likely sticky substance around her mouth and cheek. She put both hands on the porch and worked at lifting herself up, seemingly collecting her bearings. From a position on all fours, she looked down at her blood and gut-covered hands. She lifted one to her nose, taking in the odor before quickly pulling her palm away and wiping it on her sundress. She shrieked loudly as she now saw the young boy on his knees resting on the concrete steps slightly below her. Eddie screamed and quickly jumped up before turning and tumbling down after tripping on the bottom stair. He was laid out barely a second before clambering up on his feet and hightailing it down the short walk and through the gate of the picket fence. Eddie's eyes met Chad's and they both took off running down the sidewalk towards their school, screaming bloody hell along the way in terror. 4. Olive quickly made her way into the house and hopped into the shower, scrubbing her entire body with rigorous resolve, but specifically concentrating on her hands and face. She spat repeatedly down at the drain below as she now imagined newly implanted amphibian eggs underneath her skin surface and even her tongue. Oh dear me! She spat again, over and over. Those, those damned little bastards! What have they done to me? She spit again as she scrubbed at her face with the rough loofah sponge until it burned like sandpaper being drug across her lips and cheeks. Leaning forward, steadying herself with her shaky hands against the wall, she began heaving at the recollection of where her face had been lying and the mess which was still left contaminating her porch. She retched and then gagged, followed by uncontrolled coughing dry heave fits. Oh dear me, what will I do? She asked aloud. <laughs> 
She spewed as she slowly slid down the shower wall and collapsed onto the floor of the tub, pulling the shower curtain down along with her snail-paced drop. The water rained down from the shower head, splattering on top of her along with the plastic sheet causing an unfamiliar sound, the water now also directed onto the tiled floor. My life is a fucking mess, she cried aloud. I'll be taken over by frogs and toads for certain now. They're too deep within my body to kill. Once Olive finally crawled out of the shower and cleaned up the mess on the bathroom floor, she went out the back door to the garage where she kept her newly purchased reserve of pristine. She poured a cup and a half of the pesticide into a mixing bowl along with some Vaseline and peroxide, using the egg beater to amalgamate the ingredients into an ointment. She would cover herself with her concoction after pouring it straight from the bottle onto her porch and outside wall. I must cover everything thoroughly to kill the wart virus. After all, she was supposed to go out to dinner tonight with Jimmy Lane. I can't have fresh warts tonight, no sir. He wouldn't understand. Jimmy Lane McCoy was the only man left in Shady Acres to ever pay her any attention anymore. The good kind of attention anyway. All the other men at the MFA store either shunned her or made themselves absent from sight when she went to get her supply of pristine. Jimmy was always there to lift the bottle down from the shelf and then carry it out to her car. He would generally wink at her as he closed the trunk and then compliment her on how her sundress fit so nicely. She knew he was more than likely only interested in what she could do for him behind closed doors, but it was the only real human contact she had gotten for so long that she didn't care anymore. She'd be his occasional good time because it was good for her too. Not too many women of her age still enjoyed activities such as they shared, or at least she imagined it that way. She laughed when she tried to picture an oh, oh, face on Mrs. Bernadette Johnston. She also knew Frog's warts on her body would put an end to her, oh, oh, face Jimmy Lane provided her. Yes, I'll dose myself up good for tonight, she thought to herself as she continued to stir the mixture into an oily ointment. Damn toads and frogs aren't going to ruin things with Jimmy Lane and me. He's a keeper. An hour later, Olive stepped from the bathroom, appearing like a frail prune smothered in vegetable oil, slick and shiny, but toxic as rat poison, of which she held no clue. 5. Hey, Jimmy, Billy Dale snickered. Your crazy little old frog lady came into the store today, bought herself another bottle of pristine fungicide. What the hell is she trying to get rid of? Don't she know that shit is toxic as turpentine and lye? Dang, Jimmy, it's expensive too, and she's only got less than three-quarter acre land. She hates frogs, Billy. Deathly afraid of them. She told me old Doc Seavers says she's got rented, rented, oh shit, Renita something. Renitophobia, I think, though that don't sound right. Billy scrunched his eyes together as he asked, What the fuck is that? Some kind of sexual disease? Is it contagious? Because I bumped bare skin up against hers a time or two when helping her out with loading her purchases into her car. Jimmy laughed. <laughs> Billy, you dumbass. It's something concerning an unnatural fear of frogs. Some kind of mental thing. I googled it and it's like she believes frogs are evolving and gonna take over humankind or some kind of shit like that. And I don't believe it's contagious. 
and dang for sure not from bumping anything but uglies together. He winked and snorted. <laughs> you best not be trying to horn in on my arrangement with Ms. Olive. You're okay with dating a batshit crazy lady like that? Hell, my old lady loves to cook their slimy ass legs up in a skillet of lard and eat them breaded. He chuckled. Wonder what the frog lady would think of that. First off, Billy, we ain't exactly dating. We got an understanding between us. He winked. Second, there ain't exactly a string of available single ladies lined up to be special friends with an old goat like me here in Shady Acres or the three surrounding counties. Already done checked. Besides, he's quite a looker dancing around in her birthday suit. He chuckled. So what you doing with all that pristine fungicide? Bathing in it? Lord, I hope not. She says it kills them frogs lickety split. Skeeter Lake butts up to her back fence and she claims there's frogs breeding back there 24-7. Croaking all night long looking for more action. Pristine seems to shut them up quick. With what she's buying... She must be living in a patch of the most toxic property in all the county. Hell, the whole state for that matter. I want to hear about it if you start seeing her goodies down south glowing in chartreuse. Billy Dale, you're a special kind of sick. You know what I'm saying? Six. Six-thirty sharp and Jimmy Lane McCoy stood dressed in his best pair of jeans and a bright brown and orange flannel shirt from Walmart. He had spied it hanging in the men's section, just past the kids' Halloween aisle. He deemed it appropriate for the season. He also held a bag of raspberry and dark chocolate Giraldi's held behind his back. He knew they were Olive's favorite, and they rarely stocked him at the Pinewood Bluff Wally World 18 miles west of town, the closest fancy store around. These ought to put Olive in a sweet and naughty mood, he thought as he waited with anticipation. His machinery was cold and dry as Olive had put their visits off a couple of times previous, claiming some sort of rash or something. His engine was warmed and idling tonight, though, ready to perform. As the front door opened, he reached for the screen door. This Hollow's Eve held a damp chill in the air, probably why the costumed-up kids in their goblin suits and pillowcases were getting a slow start spooking the neighborhoods and panhandling for candy treats house to house. He had to admit, Halloween was never his favorite holiday. Heck, he didn't even consider it as such. It was just another ploy like Valentine's Day for the candy companies to force us to buy their overpriced goods. But on the other hand, the chocolates he brought tonight was going to bring pleasure to both. If in the doorbell don't keep a ringing from dressed up kids interrupting business. Evening, Olive. You sure are a sight for sore eyes tonight. You are certainly glimmering like diamonds in the sky. He knew he could sweet sap it up with the best of them. He held his hand out that clutched the Walmart bag holding the Giraldis. Something sweet to titillate your taste buds, man. He smiled a huge grin as Olive stepped back into the darkness of her dimly lit living room. He noticed she appeared to only be wearing a nightgown. He quickly thought to himself, she must be as primed and ready as myself. And he reached to touch her bare arm. Hmm he said in a low grumble. You all lubricated up and ready to slip and slide? Olive's throat bulged momentarily, bleeding off a small amount of gas in an odd groan. Oh, dear me. You'll have to excuse me, Jimmy Lane. 
I do believe the hot dog I had for lunch is attempting to talk back. She smiled. Olive took the bag and peeked inside. Ooh, Garaldi's, my favorite. She dropped it on the coffee table, letting his hand slip down her lotioned arm into the palm that hugged him towards the bedroom. A sultry smile was given as fingers began to twist each button from his flannel. Well, I do declare, Miss Olive, this is about the fastest courtship before we've gotten to this point. Is it the full moon tonight, or maybe the fact it's Halloween? No, Jimmy Lane, I, I just have a very strong urge tonight that needs satisfied. Well, hello and how to do. Feeling urges is what I do best, ma'am. Olive directed Jimmy to lie down on the bed and she climbed in under the sheets and then literally slid on top of him, the oils on her body making it very slippery against each other's wrinkled skin. Another deep groan of gaseous croak sounded very near. I hate to even ask for a fear of stirring you up, but could a frog have made his way from the lake to the inside of your home? Oh, Jimmy Lane, just shut the hell up and ignore it. I'm the ranidophobic around here. Not you, for God's sake. Enjoy yourself and just keep up the rhythm. Her throat began to swell, causing her voice to drop an octave lower. You feeling okay tonight, Olive? You sound different. I'm fine, Jimmy Lane. I'd be better if you just concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing. Did you take your pill? Olive croaked again as her throat swelled even larger. Suddenly, Jimmy felt panic. He saw Olive's neck bulge like a frog's and heard another loud croak. What the? Olive put her hands on each of Jimmy's shoulders and applied a supernatural force holding him firm as he began to squirm. The slippery, greasy friction between them caused her throat to begin mushrooming again. Jimmy's eyes grew wider as he watched a balloon swell below Olive's chin. His hands free, he tried to grip her arms, but his palms slid down her slimy and bumpy skin. The two wrestled, but somehow Olive's strength was superhuman. Jimmy wriggled and writhed, attempting to maintain any grip he could so he could toss her aside and escape. Panic set in, and with each attempt, he merely slid deeper under her control. He watched as her face began to transform before him. Terror-stricken, his eyes became whiter and whiter as his eyeball orbs poked out farther from their sockets, feeling as if they might explode. Warts began to appear across Olive's slickening facial features. The doorbell suddenly rang, and he could hear the chatter of kids' ghoulish calls and giggles. He tried to wail out a warning, but Olive's tongue darted out from her mouth, lassoing his, drawing it to her gullet before tearing it loose and swallowing it whole. Jimmy's eyes appeared wet with fear and became too big a temptation for Olive to hold out any longer. Her hunger for salty protein transformed the previous reproductive needs into feeding an empty stomach. Her tongue once again shot out from her mouth, its glue-like surface quickly slapped Jimmy's bulging left eye as if it were a juicy winged mayfly. In an instant, the blue-eyed ball was pulled from its socket and withdrawn back into the frog lady's gullet and swallowed with a gargling gulp. A burst of panic-filled terror gave Jimmy the wherewithal means to break free of whatever Olive had become. He managed to roll her from himself and into the wall with a slithery thud. He quickly slid off the bed and onto the floor, slime and bloody goo trailed behind him as he desperately pulled himself towards the front door. His vision wasn't right. It was blurred. The left side of his face burned and felt hollow. The stink-filled fluid that covered his body began to sting. As he reached for the knob of the front door, he struggled to twist it in his greasy grip. Jimmy heard the booming croak from Olive, 
Bleh. Jimmy? The door creaked open to the sounds of trick-or-treat before the smell and sight of what was inside the dark opening overwhelmed. Jimmy saw from his one good eye a string of ghouls and goblins leading from the white picket fence up the sidewalk and to the door he now lay at the foot of. A pirate and a soldier were the only outlines he could make out in his foggy, blood-filled sight. Help! Help me! was all Jimmy could spit from his goo-filled mouth before his face hit the floor with a dull, wet thud. Children's screams of fright mixed with giggles in the distance was all that could be heard before the pirate snapped his head to the soldier and yelled, Let's get the hell out of here, Chad! It took nothing else to convince the soldier and pirate to plow through the other ghouls and Halloween goblins lined up down the cement steps and along the sidewalk. Shocked and confused looks appeared across the children's faces as they pulled the masks from their heads. Parents stood stoic as they wondered in amazement how Ms. Olive Marguerite Randall had pulled such an excellent ghoulish Halloween trick-or-treat scene. An eerie silence hung overhead for mere seconds before the door flew wide open where the gathered crowd of children dressed in costumes from ghosts to Cinderella's, cowboys to witches, all holding pillowcases bulging with apples and candies, stared at a naked, oiled, and wrinkled form of the frog lady, Ms. Olive Marguerite Randall. Below her lay the bloodied body of Jimmy Lane McCoy, also naked and greased up with something red and stringy dangling from where his left eye should be. Mouths dropped from every face in the crowd as Olive's neck began to swell larger and larger into a thin-skinned, bulging balloon-sized image, appearing as if it would explode at any moment. From the very back of the crowd, closest to the street, came a yell in the voice of a young boy by the name of Eddie Bales. It's a goddamn frog lady! I knew she was a fucking amphibious monster. The moment of silence ended. A loud croak escaped from Olive's gullet as the massive gas-filled balloon let out a final long croak as it shriveled back down into a collection of floppy skin dangling from underneath her chin. An instant later, she fell cold-ass dead on top of her already expired special friend with benefits, Jimmy Lane McCoy. Shady Acres, Arkansas was put on the map after the Halloween of 2022 with a new festival celebrated each first Saturday of fall, now known as Bullfrog Frying Days, where you can eat fried legs on a stick and witness the weigh-ins and prize for the largest frog pulled out of Skeeter Lake. Salute! I sure hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, Croaked, A Hollow's Eve, written by Eli Pope. Eli Pope is a major writing contributor for Fear from the Heartland. Eli began his love of creating stories back in high school creative writing classes. The passion laid dormant for decades while life took him different directions. The stories never left, and he finally succumbed to the voices in his head telling him to put them on paper. And put them on paper he did, earning the Literary Titan Award for all four books of the Mason Jar series, The Judgment Game, The Spark of Wrath, The Glass House, and The Reclamation, which you, dear listener, can hear on audible.com, performed by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley. The only thing I will tell you, Billy J. Cater is a bad dude. You can hook up with Eli Pope at his website, elipope.com. That's Eli, E-L-I, Pope, P-O-P-E, 
Facebook.com. He can also be located on Facebook at author Eli Pope or search groups on Facebook, The Mason Jar Room. Donovan is a man who's accustomed to being in control until he crosses the wrong person. Is he under the power of suggestion or is he cursed? And now for your indulgence, Cursed by Kendra Nicholson. Chapter One Hey, Donovan! Colin yelled as he walked into his corner office with his hand held out for a shake. My man! I cannot believe you brokered that deal. I didn't think there was any way Richard would sell. Donovan smiled as he reached out to grasp Colin's hand. He didn't want to. Flat out refused. I heard. I heard. Colin turned and closed the door behind him. Okay, it's just you and me. How'd you do it? What finally made him change his mind? Truth? He asked and his friend nodded. Donovan shrugged and sat down in his leather chair, put his feet up on his cherry desk and said, it was simple. I took him out for drinks and told him that I knew about his affair and that I was going to call his wife. He was having an affair? How did you know? He laughed as he answered, I didn't. I made it up. I saw the way he ogled the server as she walked away and I figured he seemed like the type. So I just went for it. He immediately started blubbering, man, crying like a toddler. Please, you can't tell my wife. I can't afford a divorce. I'll do whatever you want. And bam, done. Colin shook his head. My God, Donovan, you are ruthless. It's business, he responded as he put his feet down on the floor and leaned forward. I did what needed to be done. Well, congrats, man. As Donovan exited the building and walked across the parking lot, he noticed that Richard's car was still there, and as he got closer, he could see that he was sitting in it with his arms crossed on the steering wheel and his forehead resting on them. He felt a twinge of guilt for taking advantage of the guy, but he quickly pushed it down as he began making plans for his evening celebration. He drove home and pulled his Range Rover into the driveway of his two-story brick home with its perfectly manicured lawn and pushed the button on his garage door opener. As he waited for the door to open, he saw it. That damned cat. The lady that lived next door let her cat wander the neighborhood, and he knew that its favorite place to take a dump was in his flower bed, but he hadn't caught it in the act. Until now. There it was. It had kicked Mulch out of the bed and was squatting there looking smug as it stared at him with its eyes half closed. Get out of here, you fat bastard! He yelled as he climbed out of his car and sped over to it. Don't you dare touch my Mervyn! Yelled a voice from across the lawn. Donovan turned and saw Ms. Beaumont heading his way. He stopped for a moment then looked back at the cat in time to see him kicking more mulch in every direction as he tried to cover his mess, which made Donovan even angrier. So he started over there again as he yelled, What are you gonna do, huh? You gonna kick my ass, you dried up old prune? 
She stopped in her tracks a few feet away and said, If you lay one finger on that cat, you will be very sorry. Oh, am I? I'm gonna be very sorry? Then he leaned over, scooped Mervyn up, and tossed him across the yard. He screeched, landed on his feet, then ran to her side where she picked him up and clutched him to her chest. Her face darkened as she crossed the final few feet and stood directly in front of him. She looked up at him with her cheeks blotchy red, eyes blazing, and raised a crooked finger up to his face. He thought she was muttering words to soothe the cat, but then he realized that the words were directed at him. "'Tis a vile and hateful deed you have performed this very night, deserving of a vile and hateful deed in true requite. Rest well, you will, this very eve, like a wee babe you shall sleep. But when morning comes, a change you'll feel for chance to make you weep. Fair warning you were given when my familiar you maligned. Tomorrow morn, when you awake, you will become feline. Okay, Donovan said, and then she spit into her hand rubbed it down Mervyn's back, and as he stood stunned and confused, she reached up and wiped it down the side of his face. She smiled at him, then spun around and walked back over to her house. He could hear her laughing until she got inside and slammed the door. He didn't bother moving his car into the garage. He just wanted to get inside to wash his face. His wife, Erica, heard him enter, but when she went to greet him, she saw the look on his face and said, Oh no... You didn't get the deal? No. I mean, yes, we did. We got the deal. Well, you don't sound very happy about it. No, I am. I'm very happy about it. I just had a weird run-in with the crazy lady next door. What? I've barely ever seen her outside of her house, let alone talk to her. What happened? I pulled in and finally caught that cat shitting in the flower bed and I just lost it. I picked it up and tossed it out of our yard. Donovan, you threw her cat? It landed on its feet. It was fine. Then she stuck her finger in my face and started, I don't know, saying some weird poem or something. Something about me being vile and hateful. And then she said something about her familiar. I insulted her familiar or something like that. Weirdo. Then she spit in her hand, wiped it on the cat, then wiped it on my face. He walked over to the sink and turned it on, getting the temperature just right before he leaned down and splashed water on his face. Erica handed him a towel and worriedly said, Are you sure the word was familiar? Yeah, why? That's what a witch calls her pet. A familiar. What? How do you know that? She looked embarrassed then reluctantly said, I learned it from Sabrina, the teenage witch. Donovan laughed, and she grabbed the towel and popped him with it. Then she started laughing too. He pulled her in for a hug and said, Go put on your favorite outfit that isn't sweatpants. We're celebrating. She looked up and pulled his face to hers for a kiss. Chapter 2 Donovan awoke before his alarm, feeling more rested than he had in months. He rolled over and stretched before climbing out of bed to head for the shower. He turned on the water, then relieved his bladder while he waited for it to heat up. 
When he reached over to stick his hand under the spray to check the temperature, he had a strange sensation and jerked his hand back. He was suddenly afraid to touch the water. What the? He knew logically that the water wouldn't hurt him, but the thought of stepping into it and having it run all over his body was repulsive. Come on, just get in there and get it over with, he said aloud to himself. It was the quickest shower Donovan had ever taken in his life. He poured shampoo into his hand and scrubbed his head and the rest of his body in a frenzy, then rinsed himself, turned off the water, and jumped out within seconds. He grabbed a towel and put it over his head to dry his hair and instantly felt more peaceful. He stood on the bath mat with the towel over his head while he waited for his heartbeat to slow and his breathing to become normal again. He had experienced panic attacks before and, Although this felt different, he chalked it up to that. It had been weeks since he had seen his therapist, so he picked up his phone and added, schedule appointment with Dr. Murray, to his to-do list. I made coffee, Erica said when he entered the kitchen. Thanks, babe, he answered, pouring it into his travel mug. Gotta run. Love you. He kissed her goodbye and got in the car. He opened the garage door, backed out, and drove to work. For once, he was looking forward to the morning meeting where they would be discussing the next steps in finishing the deal. He walked into the meeting room to applause. The noise startled him and he jumped, nearly dropping his laptop back. Surprise! His manager Joseph jokingly yelled and everyone laughed. Donovan took a seat, smiled in embarrassment, and said, Sorry about that, I'm a little jumpy today. That's understandable. Joseph said, patting him on the shoulder. You've been under a tremendous amount of stress. It's going to take a few days for this to seem real. He felt better hearing that. He was absolutely correct. He had been pushing himself hard recently, working long hours and not sleeping. Of course he was still anxious. He took a seat, reached over to the box of donuts on the table, and pulled out a jelly fill. When he took the first bite, it dripped out onto his wrist. Without thinking, he began licking it off. He looked up to see Colin holding out a napkin and looking at him in confusion. Donovan took the napkin with a sheepish, thanks, and looked up to see Joseph pointing at a chart with a laser pointer. He was transfixed. Everything else in the room turned soft focus and the sound all deadened to white noise as he followed the pointer on the chart. It took every ounce of control he had to stay seated. He could feel his heart pounding in his chest and his breathing quickened. What in the hell was going on? Hey, man, Colin whispered, then he touched his shoulder and Donovan leapt out of his seat. He stood panting as everyone in the room turned to stare at him. You okay, man? He looked down at his hand and saw that he had squeezed the donut in his fist and Jelly was running down onto the floor. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, he said unconvincingly. I'm fine. Just a little tired, I guess. Why don't you take the day off, Joseph suggested. Go home and relax. When was the last time you took a day off? You deserve it. Sure, that's a good idea. I'll just go home. Colin gave him some more napkins and he held them under his hand that was still jelly covered and went down the hall to the bathroom. He turned on the water and stared at it, still feeling... What? What was he feeling? He wasn't necessarily afraid of the water. It was more like he just didn't like it. 
he couldn't stand the thought of it on his skin. He suddenly remembered what Ms. Beaumont had said. You will become feline. The aversion to water? The damned laser pointer? Donovan stared at himself in the mirror. Was it possible? Was he? No, of course not. There's no way in hell this could be happening. It was the pressure. That's all it was. There was no way that lady was a witch. No way. There was no such thing. This was just all in his head. She got to him. Get it together, he said out loud to his reflection. Pull your head out of your ass and wash your damned hands. But when he opened his fist and saw the jelly and smashed up donut, his stomach gave a growl and he was overcome with the urge to lick it off like he had earlier. As if his body were in more control than his brain, he began raising his hand to his mouth, his tongue poking out between his lips to clean it off. No, he yelled. No, no, no. He thrust his hand into the stream of warm water and pump soap out of the dispenser, then began rubbing them together furiously as he gave a guttural growl. He turned off the water and waved his hand in front of the sensor on the paper towel dispenser. It didn't even blink. Come on, he growled through clenched teeth and waved his hand again to no avail. Then he opened his palm and slapped the sensor so hard it stung and the dispenser rolled out a paper towel. He ripped it off and quickly began drying his hands. He felt immediate relief. He pulled his phone out of his pocket and texted Dr. Murray. Struggling. Any openings today? Within seconds he had a reply. 5 p.m. after last patient? I'll take it. Donovan walked out, got in his car and drove home. He thought about going over to see Ms. Beaumont, but he didn't want her to think that she had gotten to him. He would go inside and have something to eat. The only thing he had eaten today was the jelly that he had licked off his wrist. No wonder his thinking was muddled. He was starving. He opened the fridge and saw two steaks still in their packaging. He could smell the raw meat and suddenly his mouth was watering and his stomach gave an almost painful rumble. He poked his finger through the plastic wrap and pulled it aside, then grabbed the steak and sunk his teeth into it. It was delicious. The smell, the texture, the flavor was like nothing he had ever eaten in his life. He ripped off chunks with his teeth until he had devoured the entire thing. Then he licked his hands clean. Now he needed a nap. He walked into the living room to lie on the couch when he was drawn to a beam of sunlight pouring through the window. He was pulled to it like a moth to a flame. He stood still, feeling the warmth wash over him, and he slowly lowered himself to the floor curled up in a ball, and went to sleep. Chapter 3 Donovan? Erica sounded worried. Tony? Babe, are you okay? He opened his eyes to see her on her knees next to him on the floor. Donny, what are you doing on the floor? Are you sick? She began rubbing his back. Oh, oh, that feels good. Don't stop. Okay, she said, continuing to rub her fingertips in circles across his back. Honey, what is going on? Just stressed. Feeling weird and anxious, he mumbled. Then he started to feel a vibration deep in his throat. 
Erica could feel the vibrating hum, so she stopped stroking him with her fingertips and laid her hand flat on his back, and the hum stopped. More, he said. Do it again. She tentatively moved her fingertips over his back, and there it was. She laughed nervously. Donnie, this is super weird, but it almost feels like you're... Suddenly, her touch felt like nails on a chalkboard. Enough, he yelled, and he turned and swatted her hand away. They both looked horrified. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. What the hell, Donnie? What is going on with you? Erica said as she stood, her eyes tearing up. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm losing my mind, Erica. He glanced at his watch and realized he had slept nearly all day and it was time for him to go to his appointment. Babe, I'm so sorry. I'm not myself. Look, I have an appointment with Dr. Murray and I have to go now. We'll talk more when I get back. Chapter 4 So, you feel like you want to be a cat? Dr. Murray asked. Like a furry. What's a furry? It's a group of people who pretend to be animals. They anthropomorphize animals to create characters and then dress like these characters called personas. In English, please. They create an animal character with human traits. Then they dress up like the animal. What? No, no way. It's okay, I'm not here to judge you. Many people find comfort and stress relief in the furry lifestyle. It's a very welcoming community. There is nothing for you to be ashamed of. No, you're not listening to me. I don't want to be a cat. I feel like I am a cat. I can't stand touching water. I had a raw steak for lunch. When my wife rubbed my back, it felt so good, I... I purred. Then all of a sudden, I couldn't stand it. I completely lost my shit and smacked her hand away. Ah, I see. Well, that's quite a different thing altogether. I'm not as familiar with this. This what? What? You'd think I'm crazy. We don't like to use that term. But I'm not wrong. I have a mental illness or something, right? Dr. Murray stood and said, Not necessarily. Then he walked over and poured two glasses of water out of a pitcher. He crossed over and handed one to Donovan. Thanks, Doc. He took a sip, then sat it on the small table next to him. Did anything unusual happen to bring this on, or is it something that has been happening slowly over time? Um, it's sort of, um... He tried to answer, but he was becoming filled with the overwhelming desire to push the glass off the table. He shook his head to clear it and tried to answer again. It started this morning. Last night, my neighbor's cat. He reached out and scooted the glass an inch. Good lord, that was satisfying. Um, it was shitting in my yard. He scooted it another inch. Yes. Anyway, I tossed it, the cat, and Miss Beaumont lost it, and... Scoot, 
It was perched on the edge, so close. Holy shitballs, that felt good. She put some kind of curse on me, something about me waking up feline. She's the one that's crazy, Doc. Then he took one finger and scooted the glass completely off the table and watched it fall to the area rug and he laughed. That was absolutely delightful. He looked up to see Dr. Murray staring at him. Then he looked back down at the glass. Sorry, did you say your neighbor put a curse on you? Yeah, I mean, I told Erica what she said and she said it sounded like a witch's spell or some shit, but she only knew that from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Dr. Murray nodded. I see. I don't believe in witches or spells or whatever. You probably should have led with that story. What do you mean? The power of suggestion is quite strong, my friend. You don't have to believe in something in order for someone else's belief or behavior to persuade your subconscious. It sounds like she was very angry and she emotionally attacked you. It was creepy as hell. I don't doubt that for a moment. I'm sure it was unnerving and your emotions were heightened. Sometimes emotion trumps logic. The good thing is that now you are aware. You have the logic. So when you feel these urges, he said glancing down at the glass, just stop and take a deep breath and remind yourself that you are in control. Thanks, Doc. I'll try that. Sorry about the glass. Chapter 5 Donovan felt relieved as he walked out to his car. He was surprised to see another car parked next to his in the patient lot when he was the only one there. He felt the hair on his neck stand on end when he realized he recognized the car. Feeling a little down, Donovan? Needed someone to talk to? He spun around as Richard walked toward him with a gun. I know the feeling. I do. I've been feeling the same way since you screwed me over the day before yesterday. Richard, look, let's talk about this, okay? Let's just go sit somewhere and have a drink and talk about it. I don't blame you for being upset. Well, I blame you, he yelled and held the gun in his face. I blame you because I'm upset. You've ruined my life. My wife wants a divorce because I sold the business and it's your fault. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's just business. It's just business for you. But it's my life, he roared, then pulled his arm back and slammed the gun into Donovan's face and the world went black. Chapter 6 Donovan woke in excruciating pain. He couldn't breathe through his nose or open his eyes. He reached up to touch his face and it was swollen and his eyes were matted together with dried blood. He rubbed at them as gently as he could until he could open them. He was lying on the ground in a small clearing surrounded by trees. He felt a shadow cross him and looked up to see Richard still holding the gun and staring at him. What have I done? Richard asked sounding genuinely upset. Oh, God, I don't know what else to do with you. I didn't mean... I was so angry. I made a mistake. I have no choice now. 
I'm sorry, but I have to kill you. He was still in pain, but his head was clearing a bit, and he felt the heat of rage building in his chest. He let out a low growl. If he had been in this situation before, he would have begged for his life. But now? Now his fear was taking a back seat to his rage. He wanted to kill Richard. He needed to kill him. Richard, he said quietly, you want to kill me like a coward? While I lie here on the ground, helpless? At least let me get to my feet. Richard held the gun out, but his hand was shaking and unsteady. All right, get up. Go ahead. Donovan got up on his hands and knees and put the sole of one foot on the ground, looking as though he was preparing to stand. Then, with a scream, he shoved himself up and pounced, knocking Richard to the ground, sending the gun skittering out of reach. As Richard tried to get his breath, Donovan pushed up to his knees and punched him in the gut, and he reflexively drew his knees up and turned face down trying to crawl away. Then he stopped. He didn't have it in him to fight. Get up, Donovan commanded. He lost the compulsion to hurt him when he wasn't moving. No, he answered. Get up, come on, he said, and walked over and hooked his toes under his torso and flipped him over onto his back. He just shook his head. No. Donovan let out an angry growl. I need you to move. Then he bent over, grabbed him by the front of his shirt with both hands to yank him up off the ground, and Richard plunged the knife he had been carrying in his pocket into Donovan's chest. He stood up and stared at the handle of the knife, seeing it move slightly with each beat of his heart. He staggered, then reached down and pulled it out, dropping it to the ground. He began to feel weak, and he fell to his knees. Then he sat and let himself collapse onto his back and stared up at the sky until he could no longer see. Chapter 7 The first thing he was aware of was the sound of his own heart. Loop-doop. And he wheezed in a lungful of air. Loop-doop. He opened his eyes and the stars glimmered above him. Loop-doop. Then he became aware of the pain. He felt like hammered shit. Everything hurt. But he was alive. He heard something rustling in the leaves and rolled onto his side. Even though it was dark, his vision was clear. He saw a shovel pop up out of the ground, then Richard climbed out after it and turned and bent over with his hands on his knees, staring down into the hole he had dug. Donovan slowly got to his feet and tread lightly as he walked over closer and picked up the shovel. What you doing, Rich? Richard froze for a moment, then he slowly stood and turned to face the man he had just killed. He slowly began shaking his head in disbelief. You can't be. You were... I checked. You can't be alive. Sure I can, Donovan said with a smile. Looks like I've got eight more lives left. Then he swung the shovel, knocking Richard into the freshly dug grave, and began covering up his mess. I hope you enjoyed tonight's story, Cursed, by Kendra Nicholson. Kendra Nicholson was born and raised in Missouri. 
She was a stay-at-home mom to two boys for over a decade, then used her degree in theater with a minor in English to perform and teach comedy improv and sketch in the Los Angeles area. She and her husband lost their youngest son to suicide in 2018 and realized what a lack of reading material there is out there for teens who have lost a loved one due to suicide, so she decided to do something about it. She published her first novel in 2020 on what would have been her son's birthday. It is available on Amazon and it's called The Climb. It is written from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy who loses his big brother to suicide as he works through his grief. She and her husband have recently moved back to Missouri, and they are happy to be back in the heartland.